0: in today's episode of the Sixers beat Rich and I go over the Sixers roster decisions which saw them waive both Charles Bassey and Isaiah Joe we also then go over our observations from the Sixers final two preseason games one quick note is that after recording this podcast the Oklahoma City Thunder signed Isaiah Joe and the Sixers converted Michael Foster Jr.'s contract to a two-way deal there is a section in this podcast where we talk about what the Sixers might do with their two-way slots. So just as an update, currently the two-way contract players the Sixers have are Julian Champani and Michael Foster Jr. Also, another quick note is that this podcast does not include season preview content. We will have another episode here in the next day or two to go over all of that. This is just a short, quick episode to wrap up the preseason. Enjoy the podcast. All right. Welcome, everybody. This is Derek Bodner, joined by Rich Hoffman on Sixers Beat, part of the Athletics Podcast Network. How you doing, Rich? Derek, I'm doing
1: great. Let's talk about the third most interesting Philadelphia team at the moment. You know who's very happy about being the least interesting team in Philadelphia? The Philadelphia 76ers. Yeah, they're they're feeling okay
0: okay with that.
1: Not irrelevant, but uninteresting at the time.
0: Completely relevant. It's just not their time. In the spotlight right now, you've got too much stuff going on with eagles dallas with the Phillies, uh, high hopes, but we do have the Philadelphia 76ers to talk about. They obviously made a couple of roster decisions here to get them down to 15. Currently, technically at 15, I have a feeling it's going to come under 15 when all is said and done. But they re- waived Trevlin Queen, which I think you and I have been express, uh, expecting for a while. They waived Charles Bassey, which again, I think ever ever since they signed Montrez Harrell, you and I have been expecting. And there's a little bit of a curveball, not a complete knuckleball, but a little bit of a curveball here as they have waived Isaiah Joe as well. So I guess, is there any one of those three that surprised you more than the other that maybe you would have gone a different way on? What's your sort of, sort of read on the situation?
1: I think it's not totally surprising for us because even as we predicted mostly that Bassey was going to be the other cut, we mentioned Isaiah Joe as, as a possible... Chopping block candidate. I guess what was a little surprising, but as as we'll get to, and you explained it well on Twitter yesterday, is understandable. Is that they cut both, and and you're right, they're they're probably going to be under 14 when this is all said and done. It's uh, wait, can, can I ask you, like, who's the other one, Foster? Yeah, he's Michael Foster underst- Jr. Okay. Yep. Yeah. So he is going. He's not going to be.
0: On he's not going to be on the team. Well, no, he's not going to be on the
1: team. He's going to be on the, the exhibit ten that he's on, and he'll he will be a Delaware. Blue coat probably.
0: Well, yeah. Look. So, like, I guess we can just cross them off. So, like, a lot of people have asked me, why is, has he not been cut yet? No, I think there's a chance they might try to convert that to a two-way contract if some of their other things don't work out. So I think they're waiting to see who gets cut around the league. Maybe if Isaiah Joe doesn't get picked up, I think they'd have an interest in bringing him back on a two-way contract. But if they have one of those two two-way spots open, it's possible, I'm not saying they will, but I think it's possible that they might try to look to convert that to a two-way contract or he will just be waived and then sign with the G League. So yeah, I don't in any way expect him to be on the 15-man NBA roster, but the delay in that is I I think they're just kind of seeing how the league plays out before they finalize those two-way spots. Sure, and
1: go, go crazy with that if uh, if you want. But I, I do think cutting Joe and Bassie at the same time was a little bit of a surprise to us, I, I guess mainly because we looked at it as you have fifteen players, and these guys are okay. Fourteenth and fifteenth
0: guys, I would argue they're probably
1: solid fourteenth or fifteenth guys. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh. So th- their rationale, and, and you can get into it in a second. Uh, I, let's. I'll let you get into the more the financial aspect, but I, I do think because there was a, a real value, I think, in doing so. If you look at these guys being the fourteenth and fifteenth players, I, Isaiah Joe, as we talked about, he is a. I think sometimes people overlook his flaws a little bit. Like, I think the the general fan likes it when he fills up the uh, starts filling it up from three point land. But I always have the picture of Isaiah Joe just laying on the ground after trying to shoot a layup. He didn't get fouled, by the way. He's just not big enough to deal with any sort of contact whatsoever. And those are his issues. You know, the, the ball handling, the lack of size, the ability to finish around the basket. He's just not that good inside the arc. But look, he's he's got a chance to be an NBA player with his three-point shooting. But the fundamental thing the Sixers had, and the same goes for Bassey, that was not happening this year for this team. This team, unless there are a bunch of injuries, he was not going to sniff the floor. There are guys ahead of him that are not going to sniff the floor If uh, if everything goes right for the Sixers. And sure, there will be a couple of injuries, but it was hard to see Isaiah Joe carving out a niche on this Sixers team. So for him, it could be a blessing in disguise, honestly, if he does get picked up somewhere else. Uh, Obviously, losing the money, I'm sure, is not a a great feeling uh, because he was non-guaranteed. But that's kind of how I look at it. And then there is the financial aspect, as you pointed out.
0: Yeah, and I think it probably is a blessing. Certainly, I think for Charles Bassey, if you're looking at this, you probably wanted to be cut. Not really because you would like that money. But in terms of having an opportunity to go play, it's real tough to do that on a contender. You know, I think when you and I were looking at this in weeks past, we probably focused a little too much on, well, which of those two would we cut and not could they both be cut and they come in with only 14 players on their contract? I because agree. I think there is, you know, I think basically the only reason that I think Isaiah Joe was cut is to get that extra one point, whatever million dollars, one point, is it seven, 1.8? Million dollars in space under the apron. His contract would have been become guaranteed here in a little over a week. So now that you look at it, Sixers are sitting there. They basically ask themselves: Would we rather have 5.5 million dollars in space under a hard cap, or would we rather have you know 3.8 million dollars in space under the hard cap and Isaiah Joe? And I think they came to that that conclusion. You know, and I think a lot of people are like, well, why not cut Charlie Brown Jr.? Why not cut Julian Champaigne? That's not how it yeah. works. Real quick because I think this gets confusing for a lot of people. There are three kinds of players, players under three types of deals who can play in the G League, right? There's an NBA player who's under an NBA contract. You send him down there to get some work. Jaden Springer would fall into this bucket. No matter where he is playing, if he's playing with the Sixers, if he's playing with the Delaware Bluecoats, he is on an NBA contract. He counts against your salary cap. He counts against the 15-man roster limit. Then there are G League players who sign a deal with the G League and they cannot play in the NBA. They are not part of your NBA program, um, but they get, they do get to play on your G League team. And basically, the the benefit here is that you can get a chance to work with them, to see them up close, to see how they respond to coaching, to see their work ethic. Your coaches, your coaching staff with the G League, can play these players, but they can't. They, you can't just say, "Okay, uh, Mac McClung, you're going to play in the NBA today." That's not how that works. In order to do that, he would have to sign an NBA contract.
1: And he could sign an NBA contract with with anybody.
0: 100%. Uh, And that's that's the key distinction with people who sign with the G League. And these would be the exhibit 10 cuts who get cut in training camp and end up signing with the G League. They get automatically assigned to your G League program. Great. But any team in the NBA can sign them. And then there's a third kind of contract, which is the two-way contract. These players don't count against your salary cap. They don't count against the 15-man active roster limit. Um, So there's two two two-way spots you can fill. Only two. They are primarily G League players. They can be up with the NBA for what? I think it's like 45 days, something of that sort. Uh, and currently that is what Champani, what uh, Charlie Brown Jr. occupy. So if they wanted to add like science one else to a two-way spot, they'd have to cut one of those two. But they do not count against the cap. They do not count against the apron or the hard cap. So waiving them does not generate either a roster spot, which in this case doesn't really matter because six are probably going in 14 roster spots. They also don't create any space. So Isaiah Joe basically was not in competition with either of those two. Really, he came down to he was in a competition against space under the hard cap and he lost. Yep. And as you pointed out,
1: there is a fourth type of player. uh, There's a fourth type of contract here because Isaiah Joe was on an NBA contract, but he is not in competition with Furkan Korkmaz, whose money is guaranteed. guaranteed. Yep.
0: Yep. You can, so you can wave Fur- Furcon, you still have like that money counts against your cap. You do not gain any space under the hard cap. Yep.
1: And would that matter as much in other years? Like, let's say Furk was on the last year of his contract. He's not. He's got another year after this. But let's say you didn't really care about the hard cap. Then, then maybe things would have been different. I, by the way, I personally think Furcon Korkmaz is a better player right now than Isaiah Joe. Sure. I know that's like a hot take and I understand. Isaiah Joe might be able to make more threes. Might, that's the operative word. We got a couple of shooters there who uh, who don't shoot particularly well from the NBA uh, line. But I, I
0: just think FERC is better in every other aspect than
1: Isaiah Joe is right now. But yeah, like who, you said, it doesn't
0: even matter. It doesn't right. even matter. Even if you thought like, hey, maybe Isaiah Joe might have some more upside, they just weren't in competition because FERCON's money was going to count against your books no matter what. I think maybe my favorite argument that I've heard people make is Furkan sucks. He's not worth a roster spot. Why couldn't they trade him and his $10 million left on his contract? Well, (laughs) you kind of sort of just answer that question. It's just, it's a a numbers game. And it's not a numbers game in terms of roster spots. It's a numbers game in terms of having flexibility under the hard cap. I think this is a really unique year where most years the Sixers are not under the hard cap. They're hard cap because they signed PJ Tucker to that that mid-level. They're hard cap because they signed, signed Daniel House to that biannual, most years they're not like that. And I think Daryl is very cognizant of having as much flexibility for the trade deadline as he can.
1: And it was a numbers game in two ways this year. Because, again, I agree with you. Isaiah Joe and Charles Bassey, if they are 14 and 15 on your roster, and let's be real, Springer is 15, but whatever. If they are And again, he has
0: a guaranteed NBA contract for this year. Releasing him does not generate a hard cap, falls in that same bucket as Furcon.
1: Yep. They're solid players for those spots on your roster. I think we've heard some people tell us that people around the league were actually curious about what was going to happen with the 15th roster spot for the Sixers in a way that doesn't usually happen right. because it's the 15th roster spot. This isn't like the NFL where guys get claimed all the time uh, in those spots and sometimes turn into great players. Like usually in the NBA, when you are the 14th or 15th guy, you're you're on the fringes of you know playing in the league there actually was some intrigue over what happens here which is why we said in the beginning like maybe this is actually a blessing in disguise for those two guys for their careers but it was a numbers game in terms of it was two things the the financial part which you've laid out and also you know we talked about the entire summer wow the sixers added all this depth without sacrificing any part of their actual rotation and so when you add three pieces and fine. You want to remove Danny Green, whatever. Okay. So you you add two pieces in the summer in house and Melton and let's say Tucker and green cross each other out, whatever. And then you add Harold. There is going to be some attrition at the back of the roster. And that is, uh, you know, they they are a victim of the Sixers positive offseason. and we'll see, you know, maybe they do bring Isaiah Joe back. Like, I don't think it's automatic that he will get picked up by another team. Same thing with Bassie. We'll you know we'll see what those guys do, where they sign, what type of contract they will be playing somewhere this year. But yeah, it was a numbers game in multiple ways, and you know it just I think with that hard cap, I understand why the Sixers and Maury are cognizant of like we don't want to get too close to that thing. We want as much flexibility as possible to yep. make moves.
0: Nope, the hard you you operate differently when you're a hard cap team. Uh, they're pretty good in terms of how much space they have underneath it. $5.5 million is a pretty good amount. You know, you go into the trade deadline. If, if you come up with a deal where you have to take back more money than you send out, uh, you can now do that. So they are in. And I, and I think that's that's very much. And look, even, even the biggest Isaiah Joe fan will probably admit he's not contributing this year to a title. Daryl Morey is a little more focused on who will contribute to a title. And that could be a trade candidate. Uh, so I think that's why they made the decision that they did. Um, I'm going to miss those Eric
1: Musselman retweets though. Whenever Isaiah Joe does something well, the, the sure, must bus retweets sure. what you do to sure. his many followers. Good coach, by the way.
0: Um, yeah. And look, I'm, uh, it, I get it. I, I, I get why, especially people who maybe came up following the team during the process, you're very invested in young players. I do think Isaiah Joe's skill set is interesting. I don't know whether he'll make the most of it. Would have liked to have seen, quite frankly, him play a little more alongside of your main players, especially a shooter like that. It's a lot easier to operate when you're playing with Joel Embiid and James Harden than it is when you're playing with Shake Milton and Danny Green. But you've also got to prove more to be put in that role. It would have been great to see another year, um, but at the end of the day, Daryl Moore is looking at a 23-year-old on the final year of his contract who hasn't really proven anything. He wants that cap flexibility under the hard cap. I I get it. A little disappointed because I do like Joe, um, but I get it.
1: I definitely get it. I think the the key word there was hasn't proven anything yet, and maybe he will. Maybe he will. I'm I'm rooting for him. Really nice kid, and you know who knows? Maybe he's playing for the Blue Coats on a two way in yeah. a couple weeks.
0: And so. I'm, I'm I'm very confident in that shot. I'm not confident in pretty much anything else in his game, which is why that shot has to be 40 percent and not 35 percent. But I'm confident he will, if given enough shots, he will eventually get there. Question is whether or not he will do enough outside of that. And the Sixers aren't the optimal team to give him those reps. To find out.
2: As you all know by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using the BetMGM lines to make all our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use the bonus code TABASKETBALL, and you'll get a one year subscription to The Athletic. Plus, up to a $1,000 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code TABasketball. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game. Claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 21 plus to wager. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Nevada, New York, and Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in Colorado, D.C., Illinois, Indiana, Nevada and New York. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use the bonus code TABASKETBALL and you'll get a one year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,000 first bet offer on your first wager.
0: All right. So I guess we can transition a little bit here into what we saw and what was a pretty tough preseason slate of games. (laughs) You know, obviously you had, yeah. The preseason. He, he, he got, I mean look, we kept watching that garbage, but it was it was tough. <laughs> you had Embiid missed two of the four games. Harden and Harris and Tucker missed a game, right?
1: I think um, Embiid essentially missed three games. That that last game, I, I don't well, think. Well, I was gonna he,
0: say the last game, most of the starters were there in, in 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 name only. There was not a you know who else was there in name only? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, look, I, I brought a second monitor. We were watching the Phillies. It was Ugh, that Hoskins tough. play that was worst tough. play of the night. Oh, it was right at the end too. We were like trying to debate whether or not to get packed up to go to a press conference, and he fumbles that shit. Unbelievable. Uh, so the
1: Sixers I, were my second screen. They they were in front of me. Yes, I, I know they yes. were. There was no screen. It was just my vision. They were. I was watching them. But yeah, there wasn't a lot going on, even though they played a lot. And I. I do appreciate Doc at the end of like a garbage game like that. He's like, yeah, I knew it was going to be garbage. I was like that when I was a player too. And I think that's all well and good for uh, for a very veteran team. But yeah, I mean, I, I would say overall it was boring. It's kind of what we've been talking about where Doc at the end of it says, well, we made it through healthy. And they had the, the minor scare with Tucker. Yeah. He didn't know what hap- was going to happen when he walked back to the locker room. He played the second half and he looked fine. So looks like they're all good there. Uh, yeah. And so it them healthy—that's all.
0: So many of these players are veterans, pretty deep in their career. They might be new to the Sixers and their fans, but you know what you're getting out of PJ Tucker. I don't really care what he does in the preseason. You don't really know what you're getting out of James Harden at the highest levels, but he's a—he's a thirty. How old is he? Thirty-three. But he's a—he's a long-term veteran who's proven a lot. He's not going a hundred percent in the preseason. It's just the, the reality of life. Nor should he and it's it's real tough to especially for you and I who veer a little more towards the analysis portion. It's real tough to take away too much. it's real tough, but I think maybe the most interesting game was that third game where they went a lot of small ball with p j Tucker at center. Rich wanted to crown Doc for the great innovation that that was what did you uh what did you take away from that?
1: Well, yeah, I just wanted to compliment Doc on just some amazing x's and o's and tactics, but I, I did actually find that game pretty interesting because you know what, it actually looked pretty good. It, it they they have PJ who Doc will clearly want to play center right now. What do you uh, before we get to this too? After watching PJ play well at backup center, and after watching Reed and Harold, and listening to this nonsense from Doc that they're all going to play and they could play at the four and just uh, they're
0: not. Uh, well, uh, Tucker, uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. I didn't
1: mean that. All, all over the place. No, but I'm saying like you have three legitimate options here. If you had a bet opening night, how do they handle the backup center minutes?
0: I would guess Reed. I think Reed's the best matchup for that backup center spot in that game. I don't know. I, I truthfully don't. I, I feel like doc is going to, I, I, I think to it's a great question. I, yeah. I, don't I know. think doc is eventually going to revert back to Harold. But when you're talking about the Celtics, and defending them I think Reed is your best option. And since Doc sort of started the preseason with Reed, I think there's a chance he will do that both because that was his first instinct in the preseason and also because that is the best matchup for the Celtics. So I think he will start off with Reed as a backup center. I do think he's going to switch them out quite a bit and that might be some falling in and out of favor at various points in the season but you've got a lot of options there and it is a great problem to have because you have complete like stylistically, you have completely different options to throw at different teams with different skill sets and different strengths. Can you keep all three of them happy? I don't know because and doc talked a lot about Harold or Reed playing at the four. No, just no, I don't think that's going to work at all. Harold. Definitely not. Reed, I don't like even a little bit at the four, but I think he might experiment with that a little more than the other ones. It's going to be tough. It's going to be a balancing act. I, I, I It's going to be tough, yeah.
2: It's a great problem
0: if they all buy in, but it's going to be tough to keep them all happy. I think that's exactly how I would put it. Uh,
1: so we'll, we'll see what happens. The good thing about Reed is that I think it, it's not exactly the same as Tucker with the small ball unit because I trust PJ making corner threes. A lot more than B-ball, Paul. And this is something that Doc said earlier today at Friday's practice. They are willing to switch Reed onto the ball. They could have that switch everything unit, and and they trust Reed to guard the ball. Um, Doc razzed him a little bit today, saying that in the preseason, he did not like how Reed guarded the ball, but last year he was a fan of that, and he knows he can do it pretty well. So and, And that's something you'll see with, the one-to-five switching. Yeah, I, I just thought it looked great for the most part. And I believe the lineup they started the Cleveland game with was Maxie, Melton, Harris, Tucker, and and Harden. Sorry. Yeah, that was the other one. And so they went with that unit, and it looked great. And I, you know what the the interesting thing is? They have the small guards who can push. The, like, they just push tempo. And, and Jarrett Allen, who is a very good rim protecting center. If Cleveland missed a shot, PJ Tucker was sprinting straight to the corner yeah. and Jared Allen was running straight to the rim. And that's an issue. <laughs> like yeah. that is just it's a fundamental thing that you your Big center not, needs to get
0: back and needs to man that middle. Yep.
1: That's what they get taught and it, it's a hard thing for them to deal with. So it's can you get enough stops and can you push the pace? I thought uh D'Anthony Melton it's you know, it's it's a little bit of a balancing act for him. Sometimes in transition, it's like okay, DeAnthony, why don't you chill out a little bit? But he definitely is a sometimes
0: in very, half court too.
1: Yeah, he's a very good rebounder though, and as a grab and go guy, like he could just push it straight down the middle of the court. And if you have your two corner guys running, and that's Harris and Tucker in this instance, man, they can get a lot of good shots out of that. Like they and they could swing, swing, and uh, drive and kick off of that. It I, I really liked how it looked. I really liked some of the like the ATO plays, Doc ran the the Iverson cut play with Harden and, and Tucker, and it was with Jared Allen. It's like an empty corner pick and roll, and Jared Allen is worried about Harden going all the way to the rim. Tucker, unlike Embiid, rolls to the corner. It's a wide-open shot for him. So, like, there are a lot of good, positive things. I thought the switching was pretty on point. A lot of good scram switching from Tobias, uh, PJ. Like, I think Tobias is going to be good at that. He's certainly bought in more on the defensive yep. end. Um, I think Melton is going to be good at that. It, it's funny though; they even they they did it with Maxie on the floor, which seems the most problematic to me because a couple of times, it's you know it was like a one-five pick and roll with Garland or maybe a dribble handoff with Garland and Allen and Maxie and Tucker are the two players yeah. in that action. Well, you can't switch with Maxie. You don't want to do that. That's and so Tucker was kind of in no man's land. He wasn't switching, but he basically let Allen. Get behind him, and that's just a, a lob right over his head for a dunk. I actually think the best version of that lineup, and, and this is something we said all summer, is Melton, Harden, Harris, House, and and Tucker, yep. or or Reed. I I really think they could mess up a lot of stuff with that. And I was so encouraged with it's Melton sort of pushing the brings ball. brings
0: me back to how much I'm not sure Harold was really necessary, though, because you can start throwing both Reed and Tucker into those lineups and they might be a little bit different but you can pull off those lineups with either one throwing Harold in there it's like well what do you really do how how are you really going to construct the defense around that and it's great for depth but it goes back to will he stay happy with that i'm sorry go
1: ahead no it's a great question because when when Harold is in there i think a Harden Harrell Harris backup unit you know i don't fill in the other two players that has a chance to be really successful, but man, it's going to be in a really different way.
0: Yeah. yeah. No, it's going to be They're a very offensive to, focused unit. Whereas before you had a chance to really shut teams down.
1: Yep. Uh, so yeah, I, I would say schematically, hopefully they get to it. it it's clear. It works. Like this is not Ben Simmons at center with, you know, cork and shake on the floor where we want to see it, but ultimately do you think it's actually going to work? They, they have the talent to do it and It looked pretty good. Like, and also if it fails during the regular season, that's fine. That's what the regular season's for. But I I don't think it's gonna fail. And PJ Tucker, you can tell too, obviously, like can barely jump over a phone book, but it's crazy how his smarts, like he's a better rim protector than Ben Simmons is because he's beating drivers to the spot a second before Ben Simmons is doing that. Simmons was great because like we talked about this. It was like Revis Island where you just, it was like a quarterback on an Island. Just go shut down this one guy on the perimeter and we'll have Embiid kind of quarterback the rest of the and defense it could and like figure be out. Pretty
0: much any one guy on the perimeter too, whether that's Kemba Walker or whether that is Jason Tatum.
1: And when you are the backline defender, like Embiid is normally, or PJ Tucker or Simmons is in the small ball unit, you're like a safety. You're like yep. a Brian Dawkins in a, you know, a cover two zone, cover one zone, Whatever you need to understand where everybody is and kind of see where those driving angles came from. Ben was a little too slow to react to that. PJ is awesome at that. So that's really the only takeaway I have for the preseason besides Tyrese Maxey. He's
0: good. He looks good. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Him. Certainly. I thought Paul Reed, the adult in the room. Now we went all in be a ball. Paul will retire that business. Yep. All business. Uh, I thought he held himself up pretty well. Um. And those are, are huge. Can you imagine a team not dying when Embiid goes to the bench? Oh, my God. I don't even know how to cover that team. I will have to completely change up my writing style and my assumptions. But I think those two were probably the biggest takeaway. I th- Melton, for the most part, struggled, but that's fine. And you know, I think when a regular season comes around, he'll be good. I think the one everyone wants to talk about is James Harden. And I think a lot of people didn't necessarily see a different James Harden. I don't disagree with you. I'm not sure you're going to in the in the preseason. I think you probably need the regular season to have a better gauge of that. But if you're going to tell me that you're not completely you know, confident, if you're not at ease, that James Harden is going to go back to... Again, not that he's ever going to go back to even the player he was with the Nets when he first got there, but somewhere in between. If you're not confident he's going to be better than last year, I get it a little bit. But I just think we have to wait until the games actually matter a little more. He did not look great physically. He had his moments, mostly set up by his dribble and getting guys off balance rather than blowing right by him. And he you know, he was never a pure just blow right by guys. He always needed to get people off balance with misdirection and with that crossover. It's just when he gets it's to me, it's almost not even how often he gets in the paint. It's what happens when he gets there. We'll see how it looks in a regular season. Um but very I'm very below the
1: rim finisher. Yep. Now very. Not like not like he always like Obviously, like if he got a head start, he could throw one down on you. Was never a high flyer. He's a yep. very below the rim yep. finisher
0: now. But I get if you're not a hundred percent bought in, but you know, we'll see what that looks like in a regular season. I don't have too many other takeaways. I th- I think you're right in that the small ball unit was probably the most interesting thing that happened in those four games. And basketball Paul, I'm I'm sorry, Paul Reed, maybe the second just because of how how unique of a piece he can add, and then Maxi just not missing until that final game. And that's really the one thing, like we can obsess over James Harden and whether or not he's capable of still being a 25 point per game scorer. Well, if Maxie is capable of being that, it might not matter. And quite frankly, when you look at what he is able to do and the confidence he has, it's not impossible. I mean, I said last pod, I think he probably ends up averaging averaging more points per game than James Harden. I think he has that kind of scoring potential and he's that aggressive and they're empowering him to be that. I think he's going to have a monster year.
1: And honestly, the Reed stuff, it's more to me just the, the willingness from Doc to throw him in to a yeah. big role is
0: yeah. Surprising.
1: surprising. yeah. When than,
0: when they signed Harold, I was really worried about what they're going to do with Reed, and so far, so good.
1: It looks like, yeah, they're still going to keep him as a big part, big part, a, a relatively big piece of the puzzle. I like how we're talking
0: as, like a 10-minute-per-game backup center as a big part, but a consistent part would be a big part for that, yeah. We love, I love talking backup center. I'll keep talking about it. garbage. The <laughs> there's so many people who aren't going to get that reference, but
1: no, and I'm not saying well, Paul Reed is garbage, it's not a no, 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 thing. No. Don't worry about it. Uh, yeah, so th- there wasn't a lot else. Yeah, I, by the way, Embiid didn't look all that good to me in the preseason. I, I don't think he was trying that hard,
0: no, and he could still end up you look up and he has like 11 points on a quarter on like five for six shooting, but yeah, I, you know, I agree with you.
1: I mean, they. Whenever I was looking up from the Phillies game the other night, he was getting blocked at the rim by Mason Plumlee. And
0: did they end up with like twelve blocks that game? Something absurd. J- JT
1: Thor, the the Hornets, who are not going to be a very good team, might have Big Vic next year. Yeah, it's uh, it, it wasn't a great preseason for them. And I guess it'll be it'll be interesting because when you're a good team like the Sixers are, the NBA has this weird thing where they the first couple games of the year. I mean, it's not weird, but it's just it's a fact of life. They're going to be awesome games. You're going to be playing other awesome teams yeah. who are in a similar boat to you where they don't have much time, but uh, it, it's certainly going to be a pretty big step up in competition playing against the the Boston Celtics.
0: Well, for two games, th- think of that, about that roller coaster preseason garbage. Kept watching it, but garbage Celtics, Bucks, Spurs, Pacers. So it's like Whew. garbage, great garbage. And it's just like, what's going on here? This is going to be such a, it's like a false start to the season. Um, and then there's a lot of middling teams after that, too. Wizards, Knicks, um, Hawks. I don't even know how to classify them, but yeah, it'll be great. These first two games, uh, first one up in Boston on Tuesday, second one at the Wells Fargo Center on Thursday, those will be great to see where we actually are and where James Harden is, where the team is, where Embiid is. It will be a, a great measuring stick. It'll be and, a great
1: measuring stick and good talking point for now, but... Uh, We've been, been around long enough.
0: It. Yeah, for sure. For sure. There's I, a, I, I saw season. Michael Carter Williams put down LeBron James. I saw that. I saw that. I'm with you. I'm with you. I saw the Sixers
1: get spanked in Boston on an opening night before, yep. and both teams went the opposite direction. And I saw the Sixers spank Boston on opening night, and both teams went the opposite direction.
0: That's all. But it will be great to have, like, even just seeing the rotations. Just oh, stupid yeah. garbage like that. It will be great to see just what Doc's thinking rotation-wise. Um, that will be fun to see how they play off of each other. Yeah, it'll, it'll be great to have that back uh, because the preseason was strange. Any other major takeaways? Um, yeah, good that good PJ. Because that looked a little serious. You know, we did pop our heads up and look when PJ went down. Uh, that looked a little serious there for a minute there. He did go back in the locker room. Good that he is good to go. Uh, it doesn't look like there's really any injuries of note, which is almost strange for this team, but good.
1: And when you talk about rotations, I, I would say the... Probably the biggest takeaway we don't know what the rotation's going to look like yeah. on opening night. It sure doesn't look like Matisse Thybul is going to be in the rotation yeah. to start the season. I Look, we're just judging off the preseason games. I know he started that first game against the Nets and he he got some time in in one of the other games when they were shorthanded. I, you know, and obviously everything I said about the small ball unit and the switching, he could theoretically do oh, a nice job on those groups. Yeah. yeah. But he doesn't look like he's in it and you know shake milton we'll see if he's he's really in that group like if they have everybody it might be the the two new acquisitions with harrell or not sorry with house and melton that it's one of the backup centers and maybe niang like that could be the rotation on yeah. opening night if we are if we are going by the full strength games that would be my guess cuz doc said they are going to stagger like uh he
0: did which is is interesting like and i'm glad season. he said that um, because I was a little nervous about that to be honest you know he said that he thinks this year's group is going to be a staggered group where they pair stars with stars uh, and they're not going to go all starters and all bench because there were times where you looked up and there were you know four bench players on the court and that happened quite a bit even in the first half so it will be again interesting to see how he settles on that I do think that is a way to go I think you and I have talked about that a lot where we thought it was where he would go but it was good to get some confirmation on that yeah Anything else? Yeah, I don't really think I have to, you know, this is a a strange spot where I just don't want to focus too much on, you know, we, we, you and I are sort of data driven, or at least we embrace data. And it feels like talking too much about this preseason is spending a lot of time talking about bad data. Like what we saw just doesn't seem very relevant, which I I certainly
1: don't care about James Harden's usage rate. I'll tell you that. But
0: it's, it's, but I'm not even talking like data as in numbers, but like just in terms of meaningful basketball that we saw. I just don't feel like there was a lot of meaningful basketball that we saw, so I don't want to focus too much on it because it feels a little bit deceiving. But no, I think I'm probably good here to uh, to go watch that Phillies game here. So <laughs> thank you, Rich, for jumping on, and we will talk to you soon.
1: See you, man. Go Phillies. When you are down, lift your head off the ground.
2: There's a lot to be learned, so look around. Once there was a silly old aunt thought he'd move a rubber tree plant. Anyone knows an ant can't move a rubber tree plant, but he had high hopes. He had high hopes. He had high apple pie in the sky. So when you start to feelin' low, Instead of letting go, just remember that and up there goes another rubber tree, up there goes another rubber tree,
0: up there goes another rubber tree plant.